Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins back here on the Boxing One podcast. We are only with 15 games left in the college basketball season, which means there are 16 teams remaining here in the NCAA tournament to break down and go through a little bit of a preview of those final 16 teams, as well as what we've seen over the last exciting weekend of hoops. We've got a good friend of the Box and One podcast, Jake Rosen here to join us. Jake, how are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be back. Uh, we had a lot of fun the first time I came on and obviously the best time of the year right now. Kind of got me my feelings there a little bit. Only 15 games left. Um, it's a bittersweet ending to the college hoop season, as always. But I thoroughly enjoyed the first weekend. I'm very excited for some of the matchups that we're about to talk about. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, th- this was, by my measure, one of the best opening weekends of the NCAA tournament that we've had in a really long period of time. There were some upsets in there. Obviously, the St. Peter's run that they've been on has been miraculous to watch. But a lot of really good games a lot of signature showcases from prospects. And we're going to go over that a little bit. We're going to frame the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament in terms of stock risers for the 2022 NBA draft. And then two guys who may have not necessarily hurt their stock, but didn't do a ton to improve it through that opening weekend. But Jake, you and I have been talking a little bit throughout the weekend on to me, what is the biggest takeaway from the NCAA tournament from a watchability standpoint, from just being a fan of the game of basketball, it's all these damn charges. Yeah. What's your, what's your take on any of this stuff? Cause I know I got into it over the weekend with a college official on the, on Twitter. He and I were going back and forth in a long thread. Uh, I kept talking about the spirit of the rule and wanting to actually change it because it favors the defense too much. And he kept going on, well, this is what the rule says. So it's how it's going to be officiated, which I still disagree. <laughs> but Jake, like what's going on with all of these damn charges? I mean, my my initial counter to uh, your friend, I don't mean to offend your friend who's an official, but it, the charge isn't being called how the ruling says it is. I, I don't, I'm not sure what the exact ruling is. I am hard pressed to say that in the ruling, it says you can be moving while the opponent is airborne, or you can be on your opponent's hip and fall to the ground, and that's considered a charge. Um, yeah. it got it honestly got to the point where I was like rooting for the integrity of the game. This is going to sound so corny, like over my bracket. Like I was watching with some friends, and the team we were watching for or like rooting for would be the beneficiary of like a bs charge call and i would like freak out and they'd be like what do you mean we talk about it. Be like we get that and i'm like no 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 like i can't watch this anymore so i mean it's something i wrote about with cerebro sports uh, in my l- little informal recap uh, just a little blur about how it definitely needs to be some ratifications of the rule um as you can hear my voice this is something me and you're like very passionate about um it needs to change it was like i'm not gonna say it was worse than usual because it's been bad all year i think you know when i watch games or same with you I'll watch one, two, maybe three in a row. Um, even if I'm watching multiple games in a day, it's usually one in the morning, one at night. Never are you watching basketball for 12 straight hours for multiple straight days. And then you just like start to really pick up on these trends. And boy, was this the trend of them all. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. Uh, I think I of the, what is it, 52 first uh, games over the first six days of the tournament there, I caught 49 of them in some fashion. And like every time I feel like I flip the channel, charge, charge, charge. Now, the way that the rule is 
allowing for, you can be moving and take a charge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so because, I stand corrected. Well, though I think we should change stood, that. <laughs> and I stood correct. The defense was that if the defender is in legal guarding position and the offensive player displaces him from it, then it can be an offensive foul. My argument back, and this is what got me in a lot of trouble, was how can it be legal guarding position when they're both moving objects that are going to collide in a space that is unclaimed at uh, that point? You stole exactly where I was going. Uh, legal guarding position and moving laterally seem to be oxymorons to me. I, yeah. I, that, that doesn't check out. Yeah, so I, I have some issues with the way the rules are written. <laughs> and if we're going to be you know, the textualists who just copy and paste whatever it says, that's how I have to try my best to interpret it. Doesn't necessarily fly for me. But <laughs> let's, let's, let's just talk about the fun stuff because I could, I could bitch and moan all day here. Uh, Jake, start us off here. Who was the biggest winner of the opening weekend as an individual prospect? It had to be Jade Nivey. Um, I, I don't, I can't see a case for anyone else. As someone who has continued to propel himself into top fours, top three for me all year. Um, he's had some of the best individual performances I've seen. Uh, game against Illinois, game against Michigan. Uh, just sometimes where he just looks like a superstar. Um, as cliche as it sounds, he also has had some growing pains. A lot, notably in the in between area, coming off pick and rolls, not knowing necessarily what to do versus something of a deep drop. Has started to figure out the pull up. Has started to figure out the floater a bit, uh, but he kind of just looked like he played with a different poise and carried himself a different way on the court in those two games. I don't want to overreact, and it's not some the reason I'm comfortable praising it is because it's something we have seen. Um, it's just it was in spurts, and for two games against Yale and Texas, boy, did he put it together, uh, especially in that second half against Texas. Um, in the first half, it wasn't really scoring it, but was still getting to his spots, had a couple early turnovers, but the burst, change of direction, just – applying pressure on the defense and making them react to him. Um, it was all there. And then turning that into scoring at all um, at the getting to the rim with ease, splitting pick and rolls, pull up threes, um, you name it. He had the whole bag, uh, a ridiculously impressive performance. And generally one of my favorite players that I've gotten to scout. Yeah. I was texting a, uh, a scouting friend over the weekend who described him as athletically overwhelming. And I think that's a, a really good way of, of kind of putting it with him. Like, even if he's not producing in every single moment, just the general speed burst, physical nature that he plays with is overwhelming. And, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, don't want to cut you off, but some one thing that I've noted of Ivy, um, his playmaking is really, you know, I think um, taken is gradually increased as the season's gone on. And a big reason why that's noteworthy to me is because he has the tools to consistently pressure the defense. And I was talking to someone on Twitter DMs the other day about him versus Jalen Green as prospects. And I said, you know what? Like Jalen Green was incredible. Um, but one thing I'm a little bit more confident in is Ivy, they both were going to pressure the defense with burst. Um, I think I, Ivy's a little bit stronger, gets downhill. I think he might be like a little bit faster than Jalen, which is pretty wild to say. Yeah, um, but Ivy is, and, and the passes weren't necessarily with the perfect velocity or with the perfect placement, but he was getting into the teeth of defense and spraying those passes everywhere. And although he wasn't scoring, his ability to still make an impact on the game was a big step forward from, I think, his play early in the year. You know, my biggest complaint with 
Purdue this year has been that they haven't unleashed Ivy in ways that are, I think both. Yeah. Well, it's not just that it makes him an easier scout, but it's that when he goes nuclear and they play through him, they win, they have a ton of success. And I, we've slowly started to get there. And in the second half against Texas, that's what it turned out to. They needed some clutch buckets, Jaden Ivy, high ISOs and pick and rolls. You know, Michigan and uh, that game in particular stood out to me. And, and in Illinois with Kofi Coburn, Hunter Dickinson in more drop coverage, traditionally what you'll see in the NBA, Painter gave him the keys a little bit more. Operate in the pick and roll, make some reads, pass it a little bit, see if you can score in the mid-range when they dare you to. He has really impressed me over the last month, month and a half. And that's hard for me to say because I used to coach against him in high school at one of my rival schools. Really? Uh, yeah, but uh, he keeps getting better. Yeah. A quick question for you and a perfect man to ask. Um, I've had this conversation with someone. Do you think he's going to see, or how would better question, how would you play him early on? Uh, Would you chase him over the top with your big and drop? Or are you going under to start? I'm going under. Yeah. I'm going under and daring him to beat me from, uh, from pull-up range, but I'm also a strong fan in going under against anybody. That's not a 36% three point shooter. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I would rather give that up and rebound and go. Fair point. Yeah. So Jaden Ivey had a great weekend. Uh, but if I'm going to throw out my first guy who was the biggest winner of, of the opening weekend, it's actually Mark Williams of Duke. Yes. Uh, yeah, Paolo Bancaro does the lion's share of the offensive lifting for that team. I am a huge Paolo guy. I have him top two. Uh, Williams does all of the dirty work. He does all of the dirty work on both ends. He does it consistently, and he has a very translatable game to the NBA. When you run pick and rolls with him, he's a lob threat. But what we saw this weekend was dependability on the defensive end, consistency on the offensive end, and even a little bit of touch away from the basket. He had one shoulder shimmy jumper that <laughs> at the end yeah. of the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that was, that was nice a little bit there from Williams. He always is working on the glass and he turns effective defense into effective offense by just playing really hard. He'll alter shots at the rim. He'll clean up the defensive mistakes that the blue devils have on the perimeter. And then boom, he takes off. He's going down the middle of the floor and he's putting pressure on your defense. I talk a lot about little things as being impressive to me. Um, Williams had against Michigan state, some of the more brilliant incidental contact that you'll see for a while. And I, I tweeted this out in a couple of video examples, Michigan state loves to run. They love to run that kind of Carolina break ish offense where they quickly inbound the ball after they get scored on and try to bury the opponents with a, a post touch right away. And Duke got scored on early on in that type of offense. Williams, whenever he would get a dunk or a layup or something at the rim, he would slam it through and then the ball would kind of accidentally get swiped (laughs) away from the inbounder so that Michigan State couldn't run. And it's brilliant, but it's one of those little things that shows that he's thinking more than he's just being that athletic big man who's so much longer and jumpier than everybody else that that's how he produces. And it, it stood out to me as this guy has a role in the NBA doing exactly what he's doing right now. Why are we not valuing that more? And the fact that we're seeing him do it consistently on a big stage when everyone's looking at Coach K and Paolo, and he's the guy that's really covering everything up. I'm a huge Mark Williams guy. 
Yeah, the te- I love that you got to bring him up because the text I sent someone after rewatching that game, it was something along the lines of that I think I think I was going to need to resign from the anti non elite bigs coalition for Mark Williams because like he's just damn good and and I'm struggling a little bit um, where I would you know in the grand scheme of big boards or team centric boards where where am I drafting him where am I comfortable drafting him I don't know yet and and that's good thing we have a couple months to parse that out but one thing is for sure like he's damn good and he's going to be in the league and he had some of them he had some really impressive defensive possessions um in that game he had a cut he had a string of back-to-back where you know he got to level shaded or when he was in drop stuck with the the ball handle a little bit got back to the roll man was able to uh, swat away the lob um kind of covered paulo's ass and one of the, like the pick and rolls where they had a huge miscommunication covered him, like showed to take away the mid-range, then got back and took away the drop-off. Um, He's just super active. I, I wish the load time was like a little bit quicker. Uh, he sometimes can be a little bit slow off the ground. And, you know, you see some of these college bigs like Williams and Mark Kessler get away with that being like lesser athletes because they can just overwhelm with absolute length and size at the college level. I think they probably lose that edge a little bit at the NBA when people are a little bit more physically matched. But Mark Williams is really good man and i love that you mentioned the touch smooth post hook um very reliable lob finisher as mark and i mentioned on the pod because on our recap on monday because we both wanted to talk about him um a point of emphasis maybe making like a little bit of quicker reads in a short roll or when he gets doubled in the post um could be low hanging fruit for more development but yeah he's someone i've been very encouraged by and i'm pretty much in on being some level of nba player yeah yeah i've uh I've continued to ratchet him up and up and up the board because there just there are so many question marks elsewhere. And again, it's it's whenever you draft a big man, it is very much team specific for is this going to be the right fit, the right guy, and is this a better value than anybody else's on the board? But I'm I'm in. Um, I don't have many questions left on Williams. I think he's going to be a productive pro, whether he's you know a starter playing 26 minutes a game or that energy big man off the bench. He can do both. And I feel really comfortable in it. I'm with Jake, you. let's go for, for guy number two. Who who else was the biggest winner out of the weekend? Uh, someone I've really been enjoying over the past two months. Uh, Malachi Branham was really good against Villanova. Uh, just did all the stuff that Malachi Branham does. You know, he's not going to beat you with burst off the bounce. Isn't going to necessarily create advantages that collapse the defense and make you pay. But tough shot maker, great touch in the mid, like in the paint area deceleration on those jumpers to create some space uh, made a couple of good pass if I recall correctly, but I haven't watched that game since I watched it live, yeah, he was um, but yeah, it, what, what really stands out is the off ball scoring and secondary creation, uh, especially at his, at his size with the age, um, the shooting, I wish it was a little bit higher volume. I do think he is a legit shooter and he can a bunch in that game. I wish it was more aggressive, though, like in, in more, versatile, more, more versatile situations, um, just getting him up a little bit more since I do project him more as an off-ball you know, secondary scorer. But, yeah, he was just really good against Villanova. And I think if you're going to bet on someone, uh, you know, you get the freshman like a him or Blake Wesley. I just think uh, Branham is going to bring some – fine scoring to the table it's projectable uh, you know what you're getting i think wesley i hate to like bring him to the conversation but like might offer some upside because his creation is quote unquote, he's going to get to the rim more he's going to generate more advantages Branham is he's not necessarily going to shift the defense but he's going to be able to rise up over top and beat them uh, so i think if you have a big handler or a point guard that 
you're confident in that's going to collapse the defense. I, I really trust someone like Malachi Branham to play out of those advantages and make the defense pay as a scorer. Jake, you're, you're reading my mind by going to Blake Wesley a little bit because I, I was going to ask you and put you on the spot with three different guys uh, who are potential one and dones who mm-hmm. similarly offensive minded with long arms and kind of play a, a more ball dominant style, whether you, you know, you want to give a ranking for the three. You want to talk about whether any should return to school and what you're influenced by over the last few samples that you've seen of these guys. It would be Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham, and then Bryce McGowan's, who we know is already declared out of Nebraska, but just trying to find a way to sprinkle him in as a, a offensive, more ball dominant type of guy, because those three are all kind of grouped similarly for me in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah, so I need to circle back to McGowan's a little bit. I haven't seen some of the recent stuff. Uh, based on what I saw earlier in the year, I'd probably have him the lowest of the three. Uh, Wesley and Branham, I think I like reworked my board a couple days ago, and they were within two or three spots of each other. I gave the nod to Branham uh, just because I think he's a little bit safer. And, you know, as I said, I trust him more to play off of a creator, considering I don't think either of them will be creators. I think Wesley is a much... I don't want to say much higher upside, but I do think Wesley, if he can iron out uh, the playmaking and the finishing, I think there's definitely a role for him there. I don't really know how to ex- explain his creation. Uh, it's just like herky jerky is the very unique movement style, but the handle is super functional and he, he gets places. He gets places on the floor and Branham does. And it's in a different sense though. Uh, Branham will get somewhere with you on his hip. Wesley's going to blow right by you. Um, but I do think if we're talking, I hate that. I'm not even going to use the high floor thing. Like it's so stupid, but I think Branham is a little bit more refined whether, whereas Wesley, it's a, could be a more enticing bet, but there's more to improve on. Yeah. Wesley strikes me as the more, it would benefit him to return and almost have a Jaden Ivy type of jump where a little more polish, a little bit, you know, the shooting really dipped for Wesley late in the season. And we mm-hmm. saw that in the NCAA tournament where he wasn't drilling shots. Now, he did still want the ball in his hands and can a couple big ones late. But I think Wesley should return to school. I am very much unsure of, of what a guy like Malachi Branham should do because he definitely ended on a high note. And guys who typically declare are guys who end on high notes. Typically. Yeah, I think he should. I think he should go. I mean, I'd probably take him to the top 20. And if you're going to be top 20 pick – go i'm not there yet yeah i'm i'm not there yet with him uh maybe it's just not trusting the shooting and that being influenced by kind of the perceptions of him before coming into ohio state and and not really knowing what to think on that front i'm not i'm not fully there yet i agree he was fantastic in the final maybe 26 minutes of that game 27 minutes i thought he got off to a rough start against villanova their patience their fundamentally sound play and kind of how willing they are to get into the basketball. I think threw him off in the opening first two segments of that game, but he got a lot better as things went along. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good pick there. Um, the, the one guy for me that I got a hit on here, it, it just as another stock riser is Ben Matherin. And look, he produced, he put up a lot of numbers, but it was how he did it especially in the final four or five minutes of regulation and then overtime against TCU because TCU was playing incredibly well. They scouted Arizona great, took away a lot of what they wanted to do 
Uh, it was a big man battle on the interior between Coloco and Lampkin. It was a fun game to watch. Just a super yep. fun game super to watch. Fun. And Matherin from a, a takeover standpoint showed something that I hadn't really seen before, which is when it was time to take over, he did it through physicality and through driving to the basket, as opposed to trying to just launch three after three. Now he hit some big, big perimeter shots, but that huge offensive rebound put back the poster that everyone's going to be talking about that he put yeah. Lampkin on. Like he keeps showing me more, not just skill off the dribble, but confidence in his skill that make me really rethink wanting to put him as an off ball wing. Like he's just a scorer and he's athletic. He's long. He's good in transition. He should be a good defender at the next level. He has slid himself into the top guy that's not in that top tier right now. I'm still, it's so fluid at this point in the process. Right. But I have, I have Matherin as either five or six on my board. And I feel really comfortable with that just because in late game situations, you find out whether flashes that somebody has are real or whether, you know, what do they trust in crunch time? And he trusted himself to be a driver, a facilitator, somebody who finished through contact, got to the rim. And that really turned me on to him long-term. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, no. And I was also really encouraged by the first half of that game as well. Like he wasn't necessarily scoring. Oh, um, but I thought his driving and slashing, his first step looked extremely functional. Uh, the burst downhill was real. And that's kind of what I've been hoping for him. Like, we know he's this elite two-foot athlete. Hey, look, you don't throw down that poster if you're not an elite athlete. Like, and, and we've seen – I've seen a bunch from him this year where it's like, whoa, like when he gets up like that. Um, so seeing him put that to use in just off of – whether it be just off a of rip or change of pace and pick and roll, but getting downhill, like that was the one – that was one of the things – probably the main thing I really want to see from him uh, from early in the year. I thought he was settling. It was either threes or floaters. And I just like, didn't like how much he was settling in between with someone of his athletic profile. He's going all the way to the rim now. And he got blocked on some, uh, maybe should have probably gotten fouled another, but he was getting there. And that was really noteworthy to me is that he was still, I don't want to say like staying true to it, but like he kept going, uh, he wasn't settling and the jumper started to fall in the second half. And obviously he was a workhorse in the offensive class, but the stuff that really caught my eye that was truly sustainable before he even really got going was the slashing and actually putting those tools to use in beating defenders at the point of attack and getting downhill to the rim. He's, he's a really well-rounded basketball player and he's turned himself into that this year to the point where uh, we should be taking notice. Well, we do have to move from the super positive to those that might not be as positive. And, and again, this is not guys who are plummeting in terms of their draft stock, because I think both you and I are seasoned enough at this to not put too much into one game. Um, but there are some performances that caused either worry or confusing situations for how we try to evaluate them and dealing with that uncertainty can be a challenge. So uh, I'm going to open it up to you again. You, you got the floor first. Who's the first guy that, you know, was either a stock dropper or just not somebody who moved their own needle in a positive direction. So I want to talk about Ty Ty because this is something we talked about before we actually hit record. And it's pretty, it's like a fragile thing. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to go about it because he came back from an injury and he's like clearly not 100%. And he's not a bursty guard to begin with. So we're taking a not so bursty combo and making him less bursty, uh, that's not going to look too hot. And that's kind of what we got against St. Peter's. Uh, walled off, 
more than usual against non-ideal competition. Yes, we, I understand St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. I'd like to believe that's largely due to their incredible head coach and some of the X's and O's that he's cooking up rather than their point of attack defenders that they have to slow down Ty Ty Washington. Um, and yeah, it just didn't really look that good. And I'm again, bringing this with a large grain of salt because I, I need to go back and look and compare before he was hurt after he was hurt. I do not think he's hundred percent. He just didn't look it, but uh, you have to take what was that face value. And uh, he just didn't look right. And wasn't able to create much separation, had one good play where he got cha- like, had a good change of pace or change of direction handled, like had an, pretty sharp cut downhill but even like the plant was smooth but then once he went to go explode it kind of just lost it and uh had a nice drop off results in free throws but again like that was the maximized outcome of something that probably should have ended him getting all the way to the rim uh yeah so uh, it was a tough watch but like i don't know if it was tough because those are his flaws and like he's not super bursty or if he's just not fully himself yet i don't know well i uh I agree with you. The ankle thing, I've noticed a change since that Auburn game. And it it, it was an eye test thing to the point where I looked back and tried to see, is that a demarcation point for a lot of production for him? It turns out it is. Whether that's coincidence or not, we don't know. But here we go. Before spraining his ankle, Ty Ty Washington, 14.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 50% from the field, 40% from three. After returning, which seemed a little rushed after that ankle injury in that Auburn game, you know, he kept trying to play through it, tell everybody everything's all right and he's, he's going to push through, but he didn't look right. And after that return from injury, 10.8 points, 2.7 rebounds, 3.1 assists, 36% from the field, 29% from three. Production definitely dropped. Now, again, is that due to the ankle? Is it due to being more in SEC play and people start to figure out, figure you out after a while? Does it expose some of the limitations that he has for not being a super bursty guy? There's, there's no way to get definitive proof on any of this, right? We all have to go with our gut and what we see and what we feel. Uh, I, I did not feel like I was watching Ty Ty Washington out there. And, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's such a hard pill to swallow and say that you're going to drop a kid on your board or try to figure out if he gets drafted later as a result of that. I want to draft the guy that's 14, four and five shooting 50, 40, 80 from the field and can play on ball and off ball. I think that's a lottery guy. I'm not moving tie tie down, but yeah, we're, we have to scratch our head about what we've seen and try to figure out exactly. Yeah. Excuse it. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough because he's kind of gone from like one of the easier vowels the entire class. I was like, this is super sound. Like, I don't see, I don't think I'm seeing a star here, but we have a good decision maker, someone who can play off the ball. I really believe in the pull up shooting. The mid range numbers are absolutely nuclear. He's a sound defender, both on and off the ball. Like, I know what I'm getting here. And now, it's a little bit wonky. I like to believe I still know what I'm getting here. Like if you ever tried playing on a bum ankle, it is not fun, uh, especially as I'll, I can call myself an athletically limited guard trying to play on a bum ankle, especially not fun. Um, So I feel for the kid Um, at the end of the day, like these are 19 year old kids. So you, I do want to be very careful when we're talking about this. And I wanted to bring him up here, not to say like I'm dropping on my board, but to say like this performance wasn't what I wanted it to be kind of a thing. Yeah. No doubt about it. And one other guy, the last individual prospect we'll talk about here, 
Uh, I know you've become a little bit more of an expert on him and, and the topic. <laughs> you've talked about it ad nauseum on, on your own podcast. Kendall Brown, man. Uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you for a little bit here, but I really struggle with guys that don't play in crunch time on their own team. I, I really struggle with guys who have one flaw in college that makes them hard to play at that level. And I just, I don't know if I trust Brown. I, I just, yeah. I don't know. Where, where are you at? What have you been discussing with him? Yeah. I mean, I think there is a situation like there is some NBA team that's going to know how to maximize him. And uh, basically what we're getting at on our own pod was it's going to be a team who is largely filled out. They have the rotation and they're looking for a uh, hyper athletic big wing slash small four who's going to come in, play hard as hell, run in transition, make some short roll reads and be a lob threat. And like, that's what we're going to do. Um, I, I think, yeah, the shooting is a flaw. I think the handling is just as much of a flaw. Um, I'm not sending any hard closeouts at him, which makes the ability to attack those closeouts that much more difficult. So you're getting a short closeout with a handle that's a little bit shaky and a sl theoretical slasher who isn't really getting to the rim. Um, I don't, I don't like that, that part of it. I don't really see. Um, I don't see the Kendall Brown who you can space out in the half court and play as a cog in your drive and kick offense or even motion offense. I don't really trust him as much as I love the decision-making. I think you need to throw him into an advantage that was created by a ball handler getting blitz and pick and roll, or, you know, your handler getting the big man to come up to the level and commit. Um, I'm not necessarily seeing someone that is going to create those advantages. And I'm also seeing someone who might have, might have trouble maintaining them um, just based on the handle and his tendency to sh settle in between. Um, but again, I, I do think if you're drafting him, it has to be for a very small niche that you know exactly what you're getting into and you know exactly how to utilize him because those tools are nutty. Um, he's a wild vertical leaper and I really do like the passing at his size. I think it's plus, I think he's a plus passer for the size. Um, I'm just got, I've just kind of grown lower and lower on all the ancillary skills, which make it that much tougher to play in the half court of an NBA offense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, it's, he's not helped by the fact that Jeremy Sohan has played really well. And by comparison, you know, when you're not the best player on your team at that type of position, it, it kind of limits the buzz, the excitement that you can have about a guy. Uh, I, I am deathly afraid of him at the NBA level turning into an Andre Robertson type of, of role where offensively he has to just stand in the corner and wait for defenders to ignore him and back cut for lobs to the basket. And that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm really yeah. scared of it because it's not that he's not a okay passer. It's that he only looks to pass, you know, he should be a better slasher. He should be able to out athlete his way to the rim. He doesn't want it. And I don't know what to do with that. So yeah, I, I, I think, think a lot of it for me, I, I think, you know, you see him lose trust in the handle in close quarters a lot. Uh, driving, maybe having a, a half a step on his primary defender and, there's someone in help that he needs to just get a gather dribble through or some type of drill move to just get all the way to the rim and, and he'll settle for a floater. Um, he loves that push shot. And I'm just like, I'm, listen, I'm no one loves floaters more than me. Uh, but if I had the athletic profile of Kendall Brown, I think I would like floaters a little bit less. Um, yeah. Obviously it's easier for me to say when I'm watching on the computer, 
But again, it's, and I like that you brought up the cutting because the cutting is still really good. He's a very instinctual basketball player, but the cutting becomes a little bit less, I don't want to say like useful or valuable when defenses and your men isn't tracking you as like a worry to shoot. Um, if they're already packing the lane, they're packing the lane. Um, yeah. I mean, how many years ago was it that the the Thunder were playing in the postseason with Russell Westbrook and trying to build around him and Robertson's just standing in the corner? Yeah. Like it, it's, I think the Rockets were the, the team that they played in the first round that just didn't guard him. And he had one game where he made a couple shots and that, but they dared him to shoot every single time and never closed out anywhere near him. That's the fear that I have. And I can't get it out of my head with a guy like Brown, because for all of the athletic tools that he has, there's something going on inside of his head right now that is, is causing him to be less impactful than he really should be. And, and I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. Um, I think for some teams, I, I don't fault you if you're, you're a little higher than consensus or where he ends up getting drafted, but I do think uh, it's very uh, team-centric for him. Yeah. Well, let's move on to preview this weekend because there's still great hoops to be, to be played. There are some fantastic prospect matchups maybe in this Sweet 16, but more so as we look forward to the Elite Eight. So, Let's dive in. We can go tactics. We can go prospects. We can go through anything you want to go here, Jake, because right now uh, the floor is going to be yours. So West region, Gonzaga, Arkansas, Duke, Texas Tech, both of which are Thursday night games. Where are you at? So, I, I mean, so we're going to talk about Houston, Arizona, because we have to. Um, I, I just want to lead with like, I can't remember the last time I've been this excited for like two sweet 16 games as I am about Duke, Texas tech and Houston, Arizona. Like we are talking about two games that both have a wild clash of styles. And it's just like, are you going to muck up the offensive stars enough or is talent going to prevail? And I'm especially excited to see how someone like Paulo uh, attacks the test of Texas tech, because uh, as incredible as Paulo is one, a one B on my board right now with Chet, the biggest one of the bigger concerns you have with him is uh, sometimes he can catch and hold or be a little bit slow processing some decisions or just bad process on isolations. Obviously, the passing has really picked up and uh, it's been a joy to watch, especially against Michigan State. But sometimes he can get caught thinking a little bit too much and you don't have time to think against those guys. They are going to swarm you. Um, so I am really excited for that matchup. Specifically. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's exactly it with Paolo. He, he, his thought process is on the catch, not pre-catch. Mm-hmm. And his thought process is catch it, hold, survey, get set. And then he's super decisive. He's got to move. Yep. He's got something in his bag. He's great at doing it. Texas Tech does not allow you to play that way because they dictate where you are going on the floor. You are driving at baseline. And if you try to spin back middle, there are somehow 32 Red Raiders in there waiting for you. It's you have to be a step ahead mentally to be able to pick them apart, to get the ball to where you want it to go. And I'm going back to my guy. This is where Mark Williams being a lob finisher can have a ton of impact for Duke. That if if we're going to evaluate one thing about Bancaro or Wendell Moore, any of the Trevor Keels even, It's are they willing to throw that lob pass from eight feet away and understand that help is selling out on them so far that the window to make that opportunity at the rim come open is going to close pretty quickly? Because that's what Texas Tech, they swarm you. 
They, mm-hmm. they swarm the lane and they make you beat them as a jump shooting team. And that's Duke's kryptonite. Yeah, I am very excited for this one. Uh, individual tests all across the board, schematic tests all across the board. Uh, this is going to be an awesome game. I'm a little, I think Gonzaga should take care of Arkansas. Um, obviously, they had a little scare against Memphis. I, I think they handled that one pretty handily. But boy, am I excited to see. Uh, obviously, te- Gonzaga's played both these teams. Um, so I'm excited for a rematch, whether it be Texas Tech or Duke. In that yeah, region. and Gonzaga, Arkansas. I mean, that's Jalen Williams, the the draw, the charge drawing menace against oh. Drew Timmy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and I know how we feel about the charge, <laughs> but I, that's an interesting matchup in in its own right. And yeah. Arkansas does apply a lot of defensive pressure on the perimeter. That can disrupt an offense that's high low based that's trying to throw the ball inside to a guy like Timmy or Holmgren on any mismatches that they have. So there could be yeah, more than anything. I just don't think this is the standout game offensively for Chet. It comes in the next round. It comes beyond something like this. Arkansas will at least negate for anybody who wants to tune in and just see what Chet Holmgren is going to do. I don't think this is a game where he scores 15, 20 points. I think he's more like eight to 10, 10 rebounds, a few blocks, a couple assists, and is out there to be a, a decoy and a threat that everyone has to pay attention to more than a primary offensive guy. Very well. Uh, but Thursday night, is, as you said, Arizona, Houston, and Villanova, Michigan. Th- those are both games. I'm like Thursday night is awesome. And then Friday night, uh, I'm not sure about Friday yet. We'll get there. But Luckily, uh, luckily I, I'm – Excited to say I will be in the building in Chicago in Friday night on Friday night. Um, one of my good friends is a big Miami fan, so we're gonna show him some love. So I'm very excited that I'm missing the other half of the Friday games, and I will be there in on my couch to watch all the Thursday games because I don't have a lot of FOMO on Friday. If it was Thursday, we're talking a different problem. But yeah, as a as a coach, I'm sure this is relatable to you. Sometimes we there are moments in basketball that make you question that the basketball gods exist. Then they gave us Arizona Houston. Now my faith is restored. Um, I this is the one to me. Um, I could not be more excited for this game. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, you mentioned contrast of styles, right? Arizona pace, go, 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 get to their spots offensively, high low pass, spin and seal, ball screen, attack and trend. Like they do everything and they do it well. Houston takes away option one, option two, option three from whatever is mm-hmm. you want. They do not stop for 40 minutes and they grind you to death. There is no way this was a five seed team. <laughs> yeah, no talk, to, talk to Ken Palm. Talk to Ken Palm. He would, he would love to hear it. <laughs> My goodness. And these are two of the best five teams in the country. I agree they, with you. They just happen to be playing in the Sweet 16. Um, and it's a contrast to Styles. And as we talked about Ben Matherin earlier and finding ways to dominate or be a physical playmaker late in game situations, this is going to be a huge test for him. A really, really big test for the, the wild card. I'm just going to throw the wild card out there in this. Kirk Krissa, is he healthy? Can he do anything? Because he came back, TCU, he did not look good. Mm-hmm. And they need him to be. I am a huge Dalen Terry fan. I like Coloco. Like Arizona's got so many unique guys that I've always been a fan of, but they need somebody who can stretch the defense out to three other than Ben Matherin. And if they can't do that, Arizona's going to be in trouble. Yep. I'm with you. 
Um, yeah. And uh, Villanova, Michigan is an interesting game because uh, yeah. Nova Nova doesn't really play a true five. Uh, they Dixon or Samuels and uh, Hunter Dickinson against smaller post defenders. That has not gone well for the opposition. However, the flip side, um, Nova's going to be able to space him out. And, and it's a really interesting – I was talking to my dad. My dad's a Michigan grad, um, and he was – telling me is like yeah they don't really have a true big i said yeah that's that's gonna be a double-edged sword for you um he's gonna be able to eat but i'm afraid he might give it all back on the on the other end but i'm very that's as you mentioned don't sleep on that game that's gonna be a good one yeah and that's very similar to the colorado state matchup in that regard of mm-hmm. you know, a more spread out team going against michigan where they'll pound the ball inside through dickinson can they hide him enough defensively this is going to be a tougher game for musa diabate because Michigan might be able to do it with one bigger guy, but they're probably not going to be able to do it with both. And yeah, I, I'm, no, go ahead. But guard depth has been an issue for Michigan right now at the start of the tournament with injuries. With uh, they, there's a clear advantage in a way for Villanova to win this game. Now they're going to have to make shots, but. I just I don't bet against Jay Wright teams. I don't do it. I I, yeah. I don't. Do it, so I think I think Michigan would need a very big Hunter Dickinson game, which is very in the which is very well in the cards. Uh, look what he did last week. Incredible performance last week. Was absolutely dominant. Um. So I'm I'm into that one as well. Yeah, and I'm turning into a big uh, Collins fan. I mm-hmm. Turn into a big. He's fan. fun as hell, man. He is super fun. Yeah. So all right, Friday. You've got uh, the two games in Chicago, I believe, are Kansas Providence and Miami, Iowa State. You're going to be seeing them from from the (laughs) good seats there in the arena. Uh, Interesting games. I think Miami, Iowa State, another one of those contrasting styles, right? Miami, five out and speed and space. And Iowa State, elite defensive game planning, grinds you to death. Tyrese Hunter is playing pretty well right now. I don't know if there's much beyond that to talk about. Yeah, no. I mean, about that one. Or I mean, we're talking about two teams on like the opposite ends of my aesthetical preferences in yeah. college hoops. I am all I am all in on Miami. Uh, they are very fun. The guards are making shots, get, getting to the rim. We got some finishing craft, as you said. Five out, basically played Walker Kessler off the floor. Um, play with a ton of confidence. An old team with seasoned vets who are all finding their way. I've grown to love this team over the course of college basketball. Um, and then Iowa State, not exactly my cup of tea. Um, I like offense. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love watching Iowa State because they are they do every little thing so well. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. it. But their their point of attack defense is fantastic. And man, if they can just find ways to score, like they're they're really good and, and i think what i love more about iowa state is just knowing what tj otzelberger has done to that program in one year pretty this, it's this incredible was, it's incredible they were one of the worst if not the worst power conference teams last year and now they are in the sweet 16 with a legitimate chance to get to the elite eight and who would they play there one of kansas or providence from a bracket from a everything standpoint like Kansas has to get to the final four, right? Like this is a major major disappointment if they don't, but you know, who is another one of those great coaches out there is Ed Cooley. Cooley, And this team is the well-oiled machine that 
executes everything that they do down to a T and all of the pieces complement each other really well. They've got two guards that can score it off the bounce in Bynum and Durham. They've got a great shooter in AJ Reeves who can come off all of the, the actions that they run for him on the baseline that are floppy like actions. They've got a stretch big in Horchler. They've got an awesome defender in Justin Manaya, and they've got size and, and scoring on the interior. Like it, it's a pretty complete team at their top six. I, uh, I really, really want to see how the wing battle goes in that game against Kansas because two through four, Kansas has Agbaji, Christian Brown, and Jalen Wilson. And those are probably, that's the best trio of big, strong physical wings that these Providence guys will have faced all year. Can they find ways to defend them really well individually? And is Kansas going to be the type of team that can exploit the one individual matchup that they'll have? Cause they'll have one on the floor that they mm-hmm. can exploit. Can they do it? And, uh, they're their best when McCormick is good. So like no secret for, for Kansas and when they're at their best, but we need, we need one of those three wings to really dominate offensively. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to see how they play Harris as well. I mean, I think Creighton kind of showed the formula. They're just daring him to shoot and Kansas ultimately decided it wasn't worth it. And I agree with Bill self. Um, it's going to be interesting because that put a lot more creation burden on Ochai and Brown last week, and it didn't really go that well. Um, as much as I would have, would have preferred otherwise, it, neither of them were really – both of them have somewhat loose handles, and they're on, dis, they're on full display. Um, I agree with you. I think it would take a while for Kansas fans to live this down Bill Self if he doesn't end up in New Orleans. I think it's absolutely their region to lose, but you never know. Yeah, yeah that'll be uh... – That'll be a fun slate of games. And then again, you will be missing these. But yeah. uh, UCLA, North Carolina, two, two blue bloods that are uh, contrasting styles in, in a little bit of a regard. But both, I don't know. I just, they make shots, they win. They don't make shots, they don't win. That's kind of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, I think UNC's rolling. I, I wouldn't want to see UNC right now. Uh, yeah. Those guards have a clicking. And um, Brady Manick is just shooting over anyone and everyone. And they're all going in. So uh, UNC's were fun. Every year I doubt UCLA. They make me look stupid. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really know what, what else to say with this one. Um, I think you had put it really, really well. Like if Hawkes is healthy and, uh, and doing his thing on the interior, that's an absolute game changer. If it turns to Uzang and Jules Bernard, um, obviously, just brought a great game, but I, I think that would be f- a favorable thing for UNC if uh, they were relying on those two to beat them with tough shots uh, yep. versus their guards. And Manic has played incredible, but Carolina, when they don't shoot the ball well, they, they're not very good. They need at least one of Davis or Caleb Love to just play really well, and that's why yep. they've made this run. Davis was great against Baylor. Love was the best player on the planet for the first time. <laughs> It, it's there's no real secret to their success when those guys play well that's what happens and then Purdue St. Peter's a Cinderella story man do we want to see St. Peter's be able to do something Zach Eady and Travion Williams against nah, you, it's Ugh. it's too much it's too much it's and, and I'm very much like play Trevion, play through Ivy but don't play with your food give it to the 7-4 guy who the mid-major yeah. old, uh, undoubtedly has no answer for 
Yep. And again, for scouting purposes, like not the greatest matchup to see a Chet Holmgren dominant game. Probably not going to be the same here for Jaden Ivey against St. Peter's because feed the ball inside. Like they shot, what, 40 free throws against Texas? Like yeah. throw it inside, throw it inside, throw it inside, foul these guys out. It, it, it's going to be their, their bread and butter to be able to get it done. But, man, shout out Shaheen Holloway, man. I know you said earlier, shout out Shaheen Holloway. What a great job he's done. He's going to be a great head coach at whatever Big East school in New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> Jake, any official predictions here? Who do you have going to the final four? What's what? I'm honestly, where are you at? So I've got all four of my final four teams left and I'm feeling good about it. Um, I'm undoubtedly not going four for four. Uh, we know that much, but I'm going to stick. I feel like I have them all around. I got to stick to my initial predictions. Uh, so that would be, Gonzaga, Villanova, Purdue, and Kansas. Okay. Well, we've got two of the four that are the same, Gonzaga and Kansas at this point against Kansas's region to lose, and I don't bet against Mark Few. Uh, I I would love to watch an Arizona-Villanova matchup. Yeah, that wouldn't that be fun? I would love to see that. Uh, just such fun basketball to be played. However, I, I got what Arizona. I will say. What I will say, it, as a Villanova um, better in this instance, I would much rather see Arizona than Houston. Houston scares me uh, if I were to see them in the Elite Eight. Yeah, that's uh, – Villanova <laughs> bloodbath too. That's, that's a, just – it's going to be a fun region. Um, yep. and, and I got Arizona coming out because they were my pick beginning, so I'm sticking to it. I just think they're too talented. And I got UCLA. Uh, coming again, you said don't sleep on those guys. It's going to depend <laughs> on Hawkes's health, but they they find ways. And Mick Cronin just kind of scares me to the point where I don't want to piss him off. So yeah, I'm I'm picking UCLA. But yeah, uh, no for me, uh, they, it's they, going they, to be they, a lot of fun. Yeah, you know Thursday night in particular, the best night of hoops that that we'll have for for a while, and then uh, and then lucky you get to go to those games yeah. in person on Friday, Jake. Thank you so much for for coming on here on the pod, enlightening us on you know, winners, losers, anything from the first weekend, and then previewing the Sweet 16 here. Let the people know, what do you got going on? Where can they find you? What's in the works for Jake Rose? Um, yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Jake in the Paint. That's the most successful. I'll be tweeting through all the hoops live. I'll be watching it with you all, as always. Um, as for writing goes, I'm doing some informal uh you know, just quick hitters, thousand words here and there uh, for Cerebro Sports on their blog. Did a little first weekend recap, talked about the charge, um, talked about Kentucky's the loss, uh, gave a little shout out to the retro jerseys that we saw this weekend, which were really cool. Um, I'll be doing that for the second weekend as well. And then some sort of Final Four recap slash preview. Haven't decided what I'm doing there, but maybe I think that'll be a little bit more in depth. Uh, once that's all over, I'll be ramping up the prospect stuff. Um, and then you can hear Mark and I talk about the draft at our pod, on our podcast, Tag the Roll, every week. Uh, it's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. So that's where you can find me at. And I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Always. Tag the Roll, fantastic. If you if you haven't tuned in and listened, make sure you do so. Those guys do a much better job than uh, than I ever could here. And, and again, nice. two, two really insightful guys on, on that end. So, uh, again, thank you all for tuning in here. Enjoy the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight watching here as we wind down the college basketball season and make sure that we ban the charge and ban <laughs> the big foul. <laughs>